0: At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Today we invite you to join us in our message series and dive deeper into what God's Word has for us today. Let me read from 1 Peter chapter 5, beginning with the second part of verse 5 and then down through verse 11. All of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another, because God resists the proud. But gives grace to the humble. So, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your cares on him because he cares about you. Be sober minded, be alert. Your adversary, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion, looking for anyone he can devour. Resist him firm in the faith, knowing that the same kind of sufferings are being experienced by your fellow believers throughout the world. The God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, establish, strengthen, and support you after you have suffered a little while. To him be dominion forever. Amen. Amen. This is the word of God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your grace. Thank you for who you are today. And Lord, as we come to hear you speak through your word, uh, we ask that you would open our ears and that you would humble our hearts and that your spirit would have freedom within our lives to work. Uh, Lord, we would long to see you grow us in Christ today. We would long to see you refresh us in your spirit. Uh, Lord, we would long for our faith to last and to endure. And so we need you this morning. Speak to us, we ask this morning, Father. Your word is living and active. So may nothing of your word be missed in our hearts today, but might you transform us for your glory. I pray, Lord, even this morning that there might be some among us who are watching online who don't know you today, who haven't seen the beauty of what Jesus has done, that they would come and that they would believe and that they would find rest for their souls. Lord, we're inviting you to work today because you are the king. And so we humble ourselves to you and we pray this together in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. you could be seated. Well, how do you recharge when you're running on empty? How, how do you fill up? How do you fill up your faith when it seems like it's, it's at the... It's at the bottom of the barrel. It's, it's, it's almost gone. It's, it's you've gone as far as you can. You've, you've tried to believe as much as you could. You're like those disciples in the boat and the storm is raging around you and you just don't know anymore what to do. How do you recharge when you're running on empty? I've been following the journey of Ewan McGregor and Charlie Borman, a couple of American uh, actors in Hollywood, as they've traveled on this show called uh, The Long Way Up from the southern tip of South America, this little community called Ushuaia, all the way up to Los Angeles. It's some 13,000-mile trip. They've been doing it on motorcycles. Uh, And that in and of itself is pretty incredible, but these aren't just any motorcycles. They are prototype electric Harley-Davidson motorcycles that they've been riding up the spine of South America into Latin America and then into, uh, into the United States. And I think it would be one thing to make that journey with uh, normal gas-powered uh, motorcycles. You could probably find enough towns and, and places along the journey to, to fill up and to get some petrol for, for your bike. But to do it on electric motorcycles really boggles my mind. And, and that's been the struggle that they've had as I've been watching this journey of theirs charging stations like we might find somewhat prevalent around uh, our country aren't so available to them as they as they tour up South America. There's always this anxiety as I've watched this show in their hearts about where are they going to find the electricity? Where are they going to find the charging station? How many more miles do they have before their bikes die and they, they have to walk it out or get a tow or something like that to help them along? And, and I I sense that anxiety even in our own lives today, maybe not so much about when is our motorcycle gonna get its next charge, but when are our hearts gonna get charged up again? We, we've been running on empty. Uh, perhaps you've f- felt that uh, today or, or this year. This year has brought a flurry of challenges that cause us to question, can we really make it? Where's the charging station gonna be at for our souls? How are we gonna get there? Do we have enough mileage in the tank of faith to, to, to make it home, to, to find refreshment in, in God. Where will the relief come and how will it come? It, it, do you feel that this year? I'm, I'm, I'm pretty confident that most of us do. I know I, know I do. And there's, there's days and times and weeks that, that this year has brought about that I just feel spiritually tired and drained, and I wonder, when's the, when's the sun going to break in? When's there going to be refreshment? When's there going to be relief? When those times of, of struggle and, and heartache and suffering and affliction come, it, it shakes our faith. We, we don't know if we really signed up for this kind of a walk. We, we don't know if we really uh, we're going to pursue God with this kind of trial and this kind of trouble. And, and our souls just feel weary and worn out. Maybe that's you this morning, maybe you blame God for it and you think, you know what, I did not anticipate this at all, God, I think you're being really unfair and unkind to me and so I'm done with you, like I'm going to move on to something else and, and if you're here this morning, you're watching online, you're just kind of like, well, I'm going to make one more shot at it, but, but maybe your faith isn't really holding. Maybe you question God and you're really frustrated and you go, God, how could you have done that? How could you have allowed that to happen this year, this time, right now? And you're like the disciples in the boat, seeing Jesus asleep, and you're going, wake up, don't you care about us? Like the storm is raging, and you're taking a nap. Where are you, God? What are you you doing? I want to take us back to uh, the end of this letter that Peter has written to the scattered exiled church uh, all throughout Asia Minor. He writes it to us, a scattered exiled church in the United States today. I want to take us back to 1 Peter, and I want to ask this question, when we are depleted, when we're spiritually tired and running on fumes, is there a way that we can see our faith refueled? Is, is there a way for us to, to find God's grace to recharge our depleted storehouses of faith even at the conclusion of this year? We've been in this series called Unshakable. And that's the firm hope that Peter has called us to, this living hope in Christ. And he concludes this letter by calling us to see the unshakable hope that we can have in Christ, to be restored and to be refreshed. Here's the bottom line on this text this morning in verses 5 through 11. It's that the calling of God, God's calling of us to himself to walk with him, to be his people, to grow with him. The calling of God is a calling to a faith for the long haul. God's call on our lives isn't just for us to find faith for just a few moments and for what seems uh, happiest and best for us, but his calling on us to follow him, his calling on us to faith, is a faith for the long haul, and he's going to see us through on it. If I could put it this way, God has called us to the long way up, a road that is traced with difficulties and afflictions. It's the way of the cross. It's the only road to glory. So we need our faith to be fueled up. We need our faith to be recharged. It's a long road, but the journey is worth it. The destination is glory. And so I want to show you this morning how the Lord is ready to fuel our faith for that long haul, because that's what he calls us to. Let me take us here to what Peter has to say in chapter 5 and to show us three ways we fuel our faith for the long haul. Here's how we can get recharged for the long road of trusting and following Jesus, of walking the way of the cross on the long road up to him. First of all, be humble because Christ cares for you. There's three actions here that Peter's gonna call us to. And the first one is to be humble because Christ cares for you. Faith is filled by humility. Our faith is filled, fueled by humility. And so he says this in verse 5. He says, all of you clothe yourselves with, one, with humility towards one another. Now, Peter here has been, in chapter 5 has been speaking to how the church relates to itself and how it, how it operates together. At the beginning of chapter 5, he's instructed and he's encouraged the elders of the church. He says, as I encourage you elders as a fellow elder and as a witness of the sufferings of Christ. To shepherd the flock of, of God among you well, not out of compulsion, but but overseeing willingly, as God would have you, shepherding them, loving, caring exercising diligence over the flock, not lording it over them, not, not beating them down, not, not being a tyrant over the church, but shepherding the church. And then he's told the rest of the church there at the beginning of verse five, in the same way you who are younger, those who are not elders, but those who are younger, be subject to the elders. There's this responsibility and relationship of humility and submission of the church to the elders, and the elders are supposed to care and lead the church well. Well, to help shepherd them along to Christ. And then he turns at the uh, rest of verse 5 to the whole church together, and he says, okay, elders will lead and shepherd well, and the church follow and submit, be subject to the elders well, and all of us together, whether elder or, or part of the church, elder or younger, in any way, all of you clothe yourselves with humility towards one another. I love that expression of how Peter talks about it. It's the idea of putting on a garment to cover yourself completely. And what does he tell us to cover ourselves with? What should be the garment that the church, that we wear among ourselves when we're together or in any sphere of life? Humility. Clothe yourselves with humility towards one another. As you live, as you think, as you talk, as you relate to others within the body of Christ, the the garment that we should be wearing, as it were, towards each other, that we should be seeing in each other and exhibiting is that garment of humility. It's what should be the adornment of our lives. What is humility? Humility is lowering ourselves for the sake of others. It's not thinking more highly of ourselves or elevating ourselves above others, but Lowering ourselves, serving others, thinking less highly of ourselves. C.S. Lewis put it this way. It's not thinking less of yourselves, but thinking of yourself less. It's an outward mentality. It's an outward trajectory. Tim Keller calls it a blessed self-forgetfulness. It's this consideration, this deference to one another, this giving ourselves for each other and Peter here speaks of a motivation for humility. He actually speaks of three motivations, why we should be humble towards each other, why we should consider others better than ourselves and elevate others and lower ourselves. First of all, he says, and he quotes the scriptures from Proverbs 3. He, he, he quotes and he causes us to see that God gives grace to the humble. So if you want to receive more of God's grace and experience more of his loving kindness, you'll be humble because that's where God's grace is found. He quotes Proverbs 3.34 and he says, God resists the proud. Now the negative statement there should be a challenge enough for us. If you want God's face to be against you, if you want God's opposition towards you, just live in arrogance. Just be proud. Just Think too highly of yourselves and and lower everybody else around you. Be the superior one in every relationship and in every setting. God will oppose you. But to the humble, he gives grace. He gives grace to the humble. So so there's a motivation for us to humble ourselves with one another and towards one another. Because that's where God's grace is being poured out. God loves humility. Humility. That's how we come to him. We don't come with our pride and say, Look, God, I've got it all figured out. I'm so smart. I'm so brilliant. I'm so theologically astute. You should really have me on your team. No, God says, Come like a little child. Come like a little one who's humble and needy and dependent. That's where his grace is found. So God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. That's a first motivation for us. Second motivation is that God will exalt or raise you up. Why should we be humble? So that God might exalt you and raise you up at the proper time. He says this in verse 6, he says, Humble yourself, under, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that he may exalt you at the proper time. When you humble yourself before others, it gives God the opportunity to rightly elevate you at the right time. The day is coming when God's people will be raised up. But the day for us now is to humble ourselves. I think of the parable that Jesus told to the Pharisees. They would have these great big dinner parties after their Sunday gatherings or their Sabbath gatherings. And and they would find and try and sit at the highest places of uh, prominence at the table. They wanted to be next to the, the lead rabbi. And Jesus says, when you come into that environment, sit at the lowest seat. Sit at the back of the room so that that way you can be elevated and brought forward. Don't presume upon yourself that you get the right-hand chair because if someone of more esteem and more importance comes in, you're going to be humiliated and being moved to a lower seat. So start at the bottom and let others raise you up. It's the way Jesus taught it. But here he's, he's showing us how God at the right time, at the proper time, he will exalt us. It's the idea of glorification. He will bring us up. He'll make all things right. The day is coming when his people will be raised up. Think about it this way. John Calvin put it like this. He says, we are to imagine that God has two hands. One, which like a hammer beats down and breaks into pieces those who raise themselves. God opposes the proud. And the other, which raises up the humble, who will willingly let down themselves. And this hand is like a firm prop to sustain them. I love this idea. God will exalt those who are humble. He'll make them chiefs and priests and kings and princes, princesses of his glory. He'll raise us up. So we're to be humble because he gives grace to the humble and because he will rightly at the right time exalt or raise us up. And a third motivation is because he cares for us. Now this is what he says in verse 7. Verse 6, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God so that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your cares on him because he cares for you. This is where pride shows itself up, shows itself up so much in our lives, when we worry. Worry is a form of pride. Worry is a thinking too highly of ourselves, thinking that we must be in control, that we've got to carry the weight and the burden of the world around us and of every moment of our lives. Worry elevates ourselves and it deflates who God is. We, we get a big view of us and we worry and we think we've got to figure it out and we get a little view of God and who he is. And this is why humility shows itself in what, Peter talks about in verse 7, casting your cares on him. It's to take our worries, take our attempts at being in control, to take our lives and to cast them to him, to to throw the weight of our worry on Christ. And the reason for this is it's there. He cares for you. Friends, this morning, hear this this good news for our hearts, that Christ knows your, your trials he knows your suffering. He knows your affliction. He knows the hardness of this year. He knows, and he's in the boat with us in the storm, and he hasn't left us. He knows the affliction of our hearts. So when we cry out, we say, God, I'm tapped. I'm, I'm tired. I'm, I have no fuel in the tank anymore. Help me. He's ready there. He, he cares for us. Think about this in the way that Christ has cared for us. He has demonstrated his care to us in going to the cross and dying for our sins. He has demonstrated his care for us in rising from the dead on the third day to give us the hope of eternal life. He has cared for us in sending his Holy Spirit to live and to dwell within us, to empower us to faith and obedience and to walk with him through the long journey. He cares for us in giving us his word to show us how to walk and to live and to remind us again and again of his faithful promises and his love towards us. He cares for us in that he has not abandoned us, but is with us forever and he will never leave us or forsake us. Do not get it out of your heart and your mind, that Christ cares for you. And his care for you is infinite. It is much greater than you could ever imagine or think. His care for you is far deeper than you can care for yourself. So don't hold on to your worries. Don't hold on to your attempts to control, but take your cares to him. Cast all your anxieties on him. Why? Because he cares for you. It's a form of humility. Tom Schreiner puts it this way. He says, worry is a form of pride because when believers are filled with anxiety, they are convinced that they must solve all the problems in their lives on their own, on their own strength. The only God they trust is in themselves. Yet when believers throw their worries upon God, they express their trust in his mighty hand, acknowledging that he is Lord and sovereign over all of life. Humility allows us to say, God, I trust you. I know that you're good. I know that you do all things for your glory and for our ultimate good. And so I'll rest under your dominion and sovereign control of all things, even my life, even this moment, even my, my, my weariness. The more you pursue humility, the more hands-off you can be about your life, the more you can rest in God's grace. And when we humble ourselves, we place ourselves, as Peter says, under the mighty hand of God. No, this isn't a phrase to cause us to think that God's dominion and his rule over us is some sort of heavy-fisted, angry tyranny pounding down our lives. The expression, the mighty hand of God is to remind us and to comfort us. It's, It's an expression used in the scriptures of God's power and his ability for his people. Psalm 89, 11 through 13 says, The heavens are yours. The earth also is yours. The world and everything in it, you founded them. So get the scope of it. It's all of creation is God's. North and south, you created them. Tabor and Hermon, shout for joy at your name. You have a mighty arm. Your hand is powerful. Your right hand is lifted high. The scriptures, when they speak of the mighty hand of God, use that phrase to help us see God's power and his grace and his strength for his people. So Peter here calls us to be humble under the mighty hand of God because that's a place of security and protection. Get under his wings. Be humble because Christ cares for you. Take your worries, take your cares, take your exhaustion to Christ He'll recharge your heart. He'll fuel your faith. And that comes through humility, considering others more highly than yourself, placing others first, showing deference, and letting God care, and sustain, and strengthen and love you in Christ. How do we fuel our faith for the long haul? Well, first of all, it calls us to be humble. The action there, be humble because Christ cares for you. Secondly, we fuel our faith for the long haul by being alert because you're not alone. Be alert because you are not alone. Verses 8 and 9, Peter says this. He says, be sober-minded, be alert. There's a double imperative there. Be clear thinking is another way to say it. This idea of sober-mindedness or alertness is a watchfulness, it's a wakefulness, it's an awareness of what's happening in our hearts and lives around us. It's using balanced and sound judgment. Being alert is being on guard. So he's saying, don't be passive about your faith. Don't be apathetic towards your heart and towards what's going on around you, but be vigilant, watch be clear-eyed about the world, about your heart, about the temptations of the world. It's not the inebriated mind that is to be tossed to and fro with the concerns of this world. But we're to have a clear thinking, the vigilant mentality even of a soldier Here's the reason why we need to be sober minded and spiritually alert, as he says there. He says, Because your adversary, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion looking for anyone he can devour. Now, here's the threat against us as believers our enemy, the devil, the accuser, he's our adversary. He gives us this metaphor, this imagery. He's like prowling around as a roaring lion, roaring, threatening, shouting with sufferings and afflictions. And they're all aimed at the Christian in order to to bring us to deny Christ. Satan's voice wants to be so loud, roaring against us through the, the afflictions and the trials of this world and our life that we would abandon our faith. That we would say, no way, I'm out. I'm tossing in the towel. Like this is way too much. Satan is roaring against the church, looking for anyone he can devour, looking for anyone who will just toss it in and, and abandon the faith. I think that's what 2020 has been for many of us. The devil's roars of affliction and hardship against the people of God are causing, they're causing us to lose faith. We're tired and we're weary. And here's the response. Peter says, if you're sober-minded, if you're alert, you can resist him. If you're watchful and aware that the devil is prowling about and he's roaring with these afflictions and trials, you can go, okay, there he is, and he's roaring away today, but he's not going to have my faith. You can resist him. What he says in verse 9, resist him, firm in the faith. See his lies, see his accusation, see his threats against you for what they are. They're weak, powerless Accusations, their empty threats, their light and momentary afflictions, see them for what they are, and resist him. Stand firm in the faith. Standing against him, here Peter says, knowing that the same kinds of sufferings are being experienced by your fellow believers throughout the world. Here's the thing: Satan wants you to believe that what you're going through is not normal. That, that it's, it's wrong in some way, that God doesn't love you today, that this world, like he has no control on this world, God's abandoned you, he's asleep in the boat, and he doesn't really care. He, he wants you to feel that way. He wants you to think that way so that you'll walk away from your faith, so you'll get frustrated at God, who's in control of all things, who exercises all authority over all things. Satan wants you to, to believe the lie about God that isn't true. Yes, God is the king. He is in control. But Satan would have you see, nope, this isn't normal. This isn't right. This suffering that you're dealing with, it's not the way it should be. You shouldn't feel that. And he wants you to think you're alone in it. He wants you to to believe that you are all by yourself, that God doesn't love you, so that you'll walk away from your faith. But notice here what Peter says. Resist him knowing So we've got to put it in our hearts and our minds and in our view, resist him knowing that the sufferings that you're enduring, the afflictions that you and I are sharing right now, they are being experienced by fellow believers throughout the world. I've said this several times here from the pulpit on Sunday mornings, the relative peace and harmony and freedom that we've experienced in America in Christianity over the last 300 some years is abnormal. Abnormal. It isn't the way the world, Christians all over the world, feel and experience their faith. They're suffering for their faith. They're hiding in uh, uh, undercover churches. They're losing their heads for the name of Jesus. They're losing their jobs for the name of Jesus. The suffering and the affliction that we feel in this little moment here in the United States or the threat that we may perceive may be coming our way, it's nothing to what Christians all over the world have experienced for generations. What we have is so much peace. And so when we feel a little attacked, when we feel a little opposed, when we feel like, oh, they're, they're taking away some freedoms, we just, we're just listening to the roaring lion of Satan getting us to say God's not in it, to bail out. But the, the way we resist is to realize these sufferings that we may feel Christians all over the world have been feeling for a long, long time. We can resist this roaring lion and stand firm in our faith for the long haul. You might ask, well, what does this being alert really look like? What's, what's, the, what's the practicality of this? This is the third time in this letter Peter has called the church to alertness. In 1 Peter 1:13, he says, therefore, prepare your minds for action and be sober-minded, same word here, be sober-minded, How do you do that? You set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. You don't diversify your spiritual portfolio. You put all of your hope in Christ and him alone. All of your faith in Jesus. That's what it means to set your mind and to be sober-minded, prepared for action. We've got one Savior, one Lord, Christ the second time he uses this is in 1 Peter 4, 7. He says, The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Sober-mindedness, being alert, sees that this time is short. That Christ will come again. And it's not a time to goof off or to be apathetic or to make long-term decisions eternal plans for this world and this season and this place, but it's to see that Christ is coming and to get our focus on him with an urgency. Sober-mindedness in 1 Peter 4, 7 has to do with our prayers. Being sober-minded and ready looks like a soldier on mission and on guard. He's ready to do his duty. He's focused on what's ahead. He knows the time is short. and So to be sober-minded It's to be self-controlled, to be vigilant here, to have a sense of urgency that Christ is going to return, and I want to proclaim his glory in all the world. Paul said it this way to Timothy in 2 Timothy 2. He said, share in sufferings as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets entangled in the concerns of civilian life. He seeks to please the commanding officer. So who's our commanding officer? It's Christ we live with our focus on him to be awake, to be vigilant, to be on guard for the long haul? Be vigilant. Be alert. You're not alone. You're not alone. Christ is with you. Church globally is with you. So let's resist the devil. Let's hold fast to our faith and be firmly standing in it for his glory. How do we fuel our faith for the long haul? Be humble because Christ cares for you. Be alert, you're not alone. Thirdly, be assured because God is faithful. The last action here is is maybe not so much an action as much as it is a posture of heart. It's to be assured because God is faithful. And we ask the question, well, what will God do as a result of my sufferings? How, How will he respond to my afflictions? and what he gives for us is a promise this is how your faith can be fueled for the long haul it's to see and to bank your life on the precious promise of god look at me with me at verses 10 and 11 peter here turns from us to so speaking to us or about us speaking about god and he gets us to a big view of god verse 10 the god of all grace Let's get get God in our view here again one more time this morning. Let's get him in our eyesight. The God of all grace, all supply, all mercy, all love, all goodness flows from the hand of God. He is the God of all love and compassion and empathy and care and mercy. There is no goodness apart from him. So the God of all grace, and what has he done? He has called us He's called you to his eternal glory in Christ. God has your best at his mind and in his heart. He has your best in your future. And it's nothing less than his glory in Christ Jesus. He's called you to his glory in Christ. He's spoken to bring you into his glory. He said, let there be life in your heart when you were spiritually dead. Your eyes were opened and you saw the goodness of Jesus and what He has done for you on the cross and you responded in faith. He's called you to himself and in Christ you can enjoy the goodness and the full benefits of the glory of God in every way. This is in Christ. So let me say it this way. Apart from Christ, you cannot enjoy the eternal glories of God forever. You will not enjoy the eternal glories of God forever. But in Christ Through faith in him and him alone, all the full benefits of the glory of God in every way are for you and at your disposal. The God of all grace, who has called you into his eternal glory in Christ, what's he going to do with us in our sufferings? What's he going to do with us when we're tired and afflicted and worn out and the tank is empty? Well, look with with me what he says here. The order of the Greek is a little different than it reads in our English translations God of all grace, let me go through it this way. The God of all grace who called you into his eternal glory in Christ after you have suffered a little while. That phrase comes right there. So he's recognizing in the midst of our sufferings, right now, in our turmoil, in our anxiety, in our worry, in our sufferings right now, he's going to do something. What is it that he's going to do? He will himself. And let me just park on that word again, that, that pronoun. God isn't gonna use some other agent to bring about what he promises here. He's not gonna slide in with some other third-party resource for you and me. He himself is going to do this. He himself is going to bring the full weight of who he is, all of his glories, all of his perfections, all of his excellent beauty. He is going to leverage himself totally and completely for us in these ways. He himself will restore, establish strengthen, support you. Think about those four words there. Peter here is just mounting up word after word after word to, to get us to feel the safety and the security that we have in God. He himself will restore. Literally, it's to put in order. Does that what suffering does? It tears us apart. It afflicts us. Break your leg and it's out of order. The word there is the idea of mending it. God will mend you. He will make you right. He will restore your weary, broken soul. He will establish that is to set down firmly. He will strengthen that is to infuse with power and ability and resoluteness. He will support confirm you. He won't leave you or forsake you. Listen here to the grace of God for us when we're tired and tapped out and anxious. He's not going to abandon us, but he's going to infuse us with the fullness of who he is for our good. He'll take what's broken and mend it. He will establish us firmly, even when we feel weak and we're about to fall apart, he'll strengthen us for better life and better ministry in him. He'll support us fully with his presence. The picture here is making you is of making you and I solid, immo- immovable, secure. He's giving us assurance that he's not going to abandon us. Even when the storm is hard, the waves are heavy, the affliction is great. Even when the The lion, the devil, roars against us with his dumb accusations. The suffering brings the trials and the attacks and the roars, but God himself has not abandoned us. He himself, in all his glory, will rebuild, renew, replenish, and restore us. How will he do that? Verse 11. It's just a a marked benediction for us, to him be dominion forever, amen. That word dominion focuses in on what God, who God is. He has all authority and power. He is sovereign over all things, and his dominion, his authority, his rule over all things, it will not be moved or diminished one iota. It will not be detracted from in one way. There is not one atom missing from God's dominion over all things. All dominion is his. To him be dominion. As Jesus said in the Great Commission, all authority in heaven and on earth is mine. He rules and reigns. And that's how he will establish and confirm and restore strengthen us. There's nothing that he does not permit to occur towards his children that has not passed through his sovereign hand of grace first and foremost. His eternal dominion and authority is unshakable, and so he is able to keep us secure forever. God is faithful. The 17th century English pastor Thomas Brooks, in a book called Heaven on Earth, said it this way, He said, look, as our greatest good comes through the sufferings of Christ, so God's greatest glory that he hath from his saints comes through their suffering. God gets glory when we suffer. And he says, there is nothing that God is so tender of as he is of his glory, and that his heart is so much set upon as his glory. And therefore, when his children are suffering, he will visit them in a prison, And feast them in a dungeon, and walk with them in a fiery furnace, and show kindness to them in a lion's den, that everyone may shout and cry, grace, grace. God loves to act in such ways of grace towards his suffering ones as may stop the mouths of their enemies and cause the hearts of his friends to rejoice. He brings all of who he is, his faithfulness for us in our sorrows and afflictions and troubles and empty dryness to restore us and to strengthen us. And so we need to bank on these precious promises. I've committed in my own life to take that verse, verse 10 and 11, and just like, Pray that verse over my life for 2021. Like, I can't wait for the next six weeks to be over so we can get there. And I don't think it's going to get any better in 2021. But these words here, these promises, help me see what God will do. Friends, you may need them as well. The faithful promises of God to assure us and to fuel our faith for the long haul. Are you tired Are you weary? Do you just feel like you're ready to tap out on on this year, on, on trusting God, on what he's doing? Maybe you feel ready to throw in the towel and to say enough. Friends, we need to let our faith be fueled for the long haul. That's what God has called us to. He's called us to him forever. He's called us to his eternal glory in Christ and he himself will restore and replenish us. So look to his promises and act on them. Be humble. Let's let humility pervade our lives, because we know God cares for us. And let's be alert. Let's not give in to Satan's lies and his roaring attacks against us, but let's be alert in this world, because we're not alone. Brothers and sisters all over the world are enduring, maybe even far worse, what we are. But let's be alert to be ready and resist the evil one. Let's be assured God is faithful. He has not lost control. He is fully ready for us. He has called us to his eternal glory in Christ. His promises will stand. So let's be assured we will make the finish line by his grace and power. Be confident and assured in him. Fill your faith with these truths and these promises for the long haul because the calling of God is to a faith for the long haul. Let's pray. Holy and sovereign Father, thank you. Thank you for these promises to refuel and to replenish our weary hearts. Strengthen us, establish us, restore us, renew us, Lord. Give us grace to stand against the evil one, to resist him. And Father, may the the nature of humility pervade our lives as you give grace to the humble. Lord, may your words this morning strengthen our hearts. and May they be met with faith and obedience to you. We love you and we pray these things and ask for your help. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head over to woodsidebible.org slash connect to introduce yourself to us today.